If you'd like to look with us, we're in the sixth chapter of John. We got down in verse 36, 37 last time. I'd like to try to kind of review where we are in the chapter. Jesus has fed the 5,000 in the beginning, and he walked on the water. The people hunted him down, you'll remember. he said, it's because of the fishes and loaves that you sought me. You're seeking me because of the, the temporary gain that you got from me. And Jesus is revealing the, the true need that's there in these folks' lives. And we saw the beginning of the bread of life discourse. They said, well, what sign do you show us that we should believe? Moses fed us with bread from heaven. Uh, what are you going to do for us? So they're, they're kind of saying, Jesus said, you're, you're seeking after the wrong thing. And they said, well, Moses gave us bread, so why don't you give us bread also? And Jesus beginning to reveal that He is the bread of life. The manna was a type and a shadow, a picture of the gift of God that was yet to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of that picture, of that type. He is the true bread that cometh down from heaven. And he says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we'd like to think maybe about this, and then we'll move along as we go. But Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. You have seen me and believe not. But in contrast to that, and we recognize, we understand that the majority of the world does not believe today. And you look at what's against us, what is against the truth. Now, you genuinely think in our world today, in our country, what is opposed to the truth. Would you not say that all higher learning is opposed to the truth of the gospel. Would you not say that, I won't say all, but the vast majority of news media, of entertainment media, is against the truth of the gospel? Would you not say that the authorities and the leaders in government, the majority, are against the truth of the Word of God? the rich, the powerful, the well-known and the famous, they all use their clout, their pull, and over and over and over again, they are opposed to the truth of the gospel. So is there any surprise that the majority believe not? You know what believing not is? That is the natural state of man. You let a million babies be born tomorrow and wait 20 years, and you know what? They're all going to be by nature. 
They can be brought up in a dope house. They can be brought up in a religious house. But in 20 years, they're all by nature going to be unbelievers and rebellious towards God. That's no surprise. But you know what the church has? We have this promise that all that the Father giveth me shall come. There's, there's no room there for me to be inserted, for them to be inserted, for people to be inserted. People's hands are out of this work. Do you see that? The Father gives them me and they shall come. You know what that's telling us of? It's that effectual call of God. Was there not a call going out here even as Jesus taught the people and was telling them that He was the bread of life? There is a call going out, but there's something more to those that are saved. Remember, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a work of God done. But we have this guarantee. Those that the Father has given, they shall come to Him without fail. The power of God, the call of God will bring them from death to life and to the Son of God. And so, He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. We've got a double promise here. The Father's not going to lose any of them. He's given them all to the Son And those that the fathers give to the Son, they will come to Christ. And when they come to Christ, Christ will not cast them out. It's the Word of God. Because I came down from heaven not to do my own will. I didn't come to do what I chose to do. I come to do what the Father chose to do. So see people that have it, and we've already covered in previous chapters the oneness of the Father and the Son. They have one will, one work, one desire. They're operating for the same cause. Jesus is saying, I'm not working something that is opposite or separate from the Father's will. But we are working together. I am accomplishing the Father's choice. And that's what the word will means. Determination, choice, or purpose. I come to do the purpose of the Father. Well, natural question. What is the purpose of the Father? What is the will of the Father? Well, here He's going to tell us. He's going to tell us in two verses. I believe if we could get the two verses together. The Father's will which has sent me, that all of which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So here's the Father's will. That every person that has been given to the Father, to Jesus, that He should lose none of them, and he's not going to. And man says, well, wait a minute. Did he not lose Judas? Did he lose Judas? From the beginning. He was a devil. It was prophesied of 
before Judas was ever born. Why, preacher, Judas, Judas done what he did because he chose to do a wrong. Well, the rest of the disciples would have chose to do wrong as well. They had a call of God that brought them in faith to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, before Judas was ever born, it was said what he was. He was a devil from the beginning. Jesus knew. You can see in chapter 5. You're going to see again here in chapter 6. Jesus already knew what Judas was. And so here... The Father's will is that all which He hath given me in John chapter 10, verse 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The Father is greater than I, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. You want to know how sure that this salvation is? Now, you say, well, that's people that are saved, and I'll, I'll agree with that, but it's people that aren't saved as well that are yet to be saved in the foreknowledge, the election, and the predestination of God. They're already given to the Jesus. Do you believe that we were given to Jesus in this day, 2,000 years before we were born? Do you believe that that was the case? Well, I'll tell you what the book says, that we were buried with Him and we were raised with Him. We were quickened together with the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of God is so certain that it's said and it's done even before it happens. God declares the end from the beginning. He's not writing the story as He goes along. He's not waiting to see what... Liberty Church is going to do before he decides what he's going to do next week. God wrote the end from the beginning. His foreordination, his predestination has assured the completion of his will from before the foundation of the world. That's all Scripture. It's all Scripture. And so, that I should raise it up again. You remember... Uh, back in chapter 5, we look at the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation and of eternal death. So what's the Father's will? That Jesus loses none of those that were given to Him. So what, what do we say about those that are lost? And I realize all the world is lost, but those that we would say, well, we thought they were in like Judas, but they've fallen away. Well, John, the same writer of this gospel, wrote 1 John, and in 1 John we read that they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued, but they went out that it might be made manifest. So the problem is not that Jesus lost them or that He was unable to convince them, or that some weakness in the work of God was unable to bring them to Christ. That's not the case. Rather, they went out that it might be made manifest what they really were. They were not gods to begin with. And so they're going away. Judas's betrayal manifested what he really was on the inside. 
Did he look like a disciple? Did he look like an apostle? Did he look like the real thing? He was so convincing that even as he goes out, and we'll see it in John later, as he leaves from the supper to go sell the Lord, they thought he was going to buy bread for the dinner. The disciples had no idea what he really was. But it's going to be manifested. God's going to bring it to light what he really was. But Jesus didn't fail to save. Jesus has never failed to save any of those that the Father has given Him. They've all responded affirmatively to the call of God in their heart. So the response then is not to my glory that I'm glad I believed. Rather, it's to the call of God that persuaded and convinced me and that brought me to the Lord. A call that, uh, Leah said it last week, I believe, a call that really couldn't be refused. Not couldn't be refused in the picture of I'm arrested and I can't fight it off. I can't fight him off of me. But in this regard that I was so persuaded and convinced and my heart loved Him so by the work of the Holy Ghost in me, I had no desire to turn Him away. An effectual call that brings to life those that are God's. And they shall come. They won't need begged. They won't need petted. And when the call of God comes to them individually, they won't push it away. It'll bring them from death unto life and it'll bring them to the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they come to the Lord Jesus, He's not going to cast them away. He's going to wash their sins. Why? Because it's the Father's will. He's doing the Father's will. He's saving them that the Father has given Him. He's washing their sins away. He's putting them in Himself. He's giving us His righteousness and we are accepted in Him. They will. There will be a change of life. There will be a new creature made by the grace of God in Jesus. And so, I came not to do my own will. This is the Father's will, all which He hath given me. Not all the world. Not every individual person living on the world. But all that the Father giveth me. I should lose nothing but raise it up. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life. Do you think those two verses go together? I'm going to propose this, that the will of God in both of these verses is the exact same will. So do I believe that everyone which seeth and believeth shall have everlasting life? Absolutely. I agree with that 1,000%. But you see what's done is that John 3.16, Whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's taken and said, well see, it's up to everybody what they do. Really people are saved because of their decision. And so this one is saved because he chose to do the right thing. 
Really what saved him was his choice and his good work. But see, that can't be. These two verses, they can't disagree. So the will of the Father is that Jesus would raise up all of them that the Father's given him. The will of the Father is that everyone which believeth should have everlasting life. So do you see that the belief of the individual is it's equally tied. You can't have one without the other. Comes with the call of God Almighty. So where did your belief? You're saved? You have everlasting life? Where did your belief come from? Well, I believed and that's why I have everlasting life. Amen. So where did your belief come from? It came from, it was a result of the call of God in your heart. He persuaded you. You believed it because He persuaded you. He gave you faith, if that's the way you want to say it. He persuaded you. That's saying the same thing. Faith means persuasion or conviction of truth. He persuaded you. He convicted you of the truth. He gave you faith. And that faith resulted in you coming to Christ. And you coming to Christ resulted in Christ washing your sins away and Him giving you eternal life and Him raising you up at the last day. All of that is sure. You can't lose that because that's not yours to lose. That's God's work. So you see if we take these verses then and that Ephesians chapter 1 where Greg spent quite a while going through there If you put those together, you see that the Father elected before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You see that God's choice was made before the foundation of the world. You see that? So wouldn't you say here that that choice, that election, before the foundation of the world, that's what you're seeing in John 37. All that the Father giveth me. The Father made choice. He gave them to Christ. Christ came and died for them that none of them should be lost. I I don't know how you get anything else out of the Scripture. I don't know how you can. The Jews then murmured at Him because He said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? So you see what they're saying? Jesus says, I am the true bread. I am the bread of life. I'm the one that's come from heaven. And they're saying, Now wait just a minute. I know your daddy, I know your mama. I know your brothers and I know your sisters and I know where you live and you didn't come from heaven. Who are you kidding? Now in the flesh, you put yourself in their shoes. Is that not what you would think? You know his mama. You didn't come from heaven. You come from Mary. I remember when she was pregnant 
And it was before she was married, and she said it was a miracle. But we know it was fornication. There ain't no miracles like that going to happen. That's exactly what you would have thought. And do you know what it would have took for you to think anything different? The opening of your eyes by the grace and conviction of the call of God. Is that not the truth? So they're thinking, now wait a minute, you're not from heaven, you're from Nazareth. We know where you live and we know where you're from and we know you're a family. How can you say that you're from heaven? And so in 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they shall all they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John, John writes all of his books this way. We slowly build. He introduces a thought, and we slowly build on that thought. So they're saying, you're not from heaven. We know who you are. And Jesus says, don't murmur among yourselves to grumble and complain. No man can come to me. No man. So if you look in your Bibles, that really doesn't just mean man there in a sense that a woman can, but a man can't. But it's not even one. That's what the word means. Not even one can, to be able or possible, come to me. Now that's a pretty depressing statement right there. Now we're going to add to it. But what Jesus says is no man, not even one, nobody is able or possible to come to me. So is that true? That is a true statement. No man of his own will, of his own strength, of his own decision, of his own desire can. It's not that he will. No man will. But it's no man can. You know why? Because he's corrupt. He's fallen. He's inclined to sin. He's dead. Is what he is. He's dead. And no man can see the kingdom of God except he be born again. You can't enter the kingdom of God except a man be born again. And so here... No man can come to me except there is an exception. So people cannot come to Christ in faith. And now let's, let's cut it straight. It's not because the door's shut. It's not because God's not has said you can't come. That's not why. The door's open. Jesus, His whole ministry says come to me. 
suffer the little children to come to me. Come to me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He said here, I'm the bread of life. Eat of me and you'll never hunger. Is that not true? Why can't man come? It's because of man's fallenness in sin. Man does not choose. If you want to say it that way, then we'll say it. Man doesn't choose God because he's fallen and he's inclined to evil. And it's that chains of sin. It's man dead in trespasses and sins. That's what prevents a man from coming to Jesus for salvation. No man can come to me except, so here's our exception, the Father which hath sent me draw him. So if there is a coming to God, it is only by the drawing of the Father. Man cannot come to Jesus and be saved except this is the only exception is that the Father is drawing Him. Now here's an unfortunate truth. What what does draw mean? I believe you could get a lot of answers. Even if we just said, what does Jesus mean here? When he says draw, I think the popular definition would be he's wooing them to come. But to draw, the word means, and don't quit me here, the word means to drag. Let's look at just a few scriptures. In Hosea 11 verse 4, Old Testament I know, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. I was to them as they that take off the yoke off their jaws, and I laid meat to them. So the picture here is of an ox or of a horse. And they've got the yoke on and they've been working, and God comes and takes the yoke off of the horse, and you've got the bit and the rope, and you're leading them. That's what the picture is. So what did God do for His people? Well, they were yoked in sin. They were bound by death. They were bound by the fall in the garden in sin and in rebellion towards God. By His grace, He lifted that weight of death off. He brought us to life. He rebirthed us. He regenerated us. He brought us to life by His Spirit And He led us by the cord and by the bit in the mouth. He brought us to Jesus. Now does that mean that He drug them kicking and screaming? No. The horse was glad to have the yoke took off. And the horse wanted something to eat and to drink. He was happy to be drugged by the Father. Now we're going to see some places here that this word... This same Greek word in John chapter 44, let's see how it's used through the New Testament. It's used eight times in the New Testament. Right here, again, down the line, and when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I realize maybe that doesn't give us an idea of what the word means either. In John 18, though, verse 10, we see 
there in the garden. They've come to arrest the Lord Jesus. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it. Same word. John 21. Here they are after Jesus' resurrection. They've been fishing. They've got a giant net of fishes. John 21 verse 6, they were not able to draw it for the multitude. Now do you think they're wooing that? Do you think Peter was wooing his sword out? No, there's there's a force there. John 21 verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land. So they couldn't get it to land. Peter runs out in the water and grabs it and is drawing it to the land. He's not talking it into the land. He's bringing it. In Acts chapter 16, verse 19, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers. So here's Paul and Silas. They got a problem with the gospel that these men are preaching. So they're going to arrest them and bring them before the rulers. They're going to bring them to court. Now do you think they said, all right guys, just quieten down and come on and go with us. Is that the picture you get when they drew them? Again in Acts 21 verse 30, they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. Were they standing at the back saying, come on Paul. No, you see what they're doing? They're coming, they're taking them. And they're, they're going to throw Paul out of the temple. We're going to drag, we're going to draw Paul and Silas before the judge. One more place in James chapter 2, verse 6, speaking about the rich. Are not they that draw you before the judgment seats? They're going to drag you before the judgment seats. So, what's he saying here? when he says, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. It's more than a wooing. There's more than a begging somebody to come. God is not begging anybody to come. He's not. Those that do come to Jesus and are saved, they come because the Father has drawn them to come. And only because the Father has drawn them. It's the only exception. Why did you come? The Father drew you. And when the Father draws, Jesus is not working against the Father. The Father's not working against Jesus. They've got the same will. So when the Father draws one, Jesus will save them. He will raise them up at the last day. So in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Can that be done? No. Then may you also do good that are accustomed to do evil. You know what man is in, in his fallen state, dead in trespasses and sins, inclined unto evil, He's naturally inclined. When I say inclined, that's the direction that he wants to go. That's his desire is to go in that direction. It's 
I, I don't even I don't even want to say it that way. It's predictable, is what it is. But it's it's more than that, really. You know, I know that if you had a plate of broccoli and a plate of pizza and you set it before my boys, I know exactly what they're gonna pick. I know. It's predictable. And I guarantee you, they will never, ever pick broccoli if they have the choice between it and pizza. They'll never do it. You know, that's the way man is. Man don't like God. He's inclined to choose evil. Not because God's forcing him to choose evil. You're not forcing them to eat pizza. They're tickled, slapped to death to do it. And so is man. God's not forcing man to evil. He didn't force me to run into sin. But you know what I did? I naturally went there. That was my choice. That was my will. And if I was ever going to choose anything different, God was going to have to lay the reins and put the bit in my mouth and draw me to the Lord Jesus. And that's what he did. The Ethiopian didn't change his skin and the leper didn't change his spots and sinners didn't come out of sin to God to be saved by their self. The Father drew them and brought them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without fail, He brought them. And so... I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. So where is the teaching coming from? It's written in the prophets. This is maybe out of Isaiah. Could be out of Jeremiah. I'm going to read in both places. Isaiah 54, 13. So it's obvious it's written in the prophets. Jesus is quoting them Scripture here from the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, 13, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In Jeremiah 31, 33, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and write it in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Who's doing the teaching? God's doing the teaching. So where did the knowledge of who Jesus is, where did that knowledge come from? My absolute favorite verse in the Bible, Matthew chapter 16. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You know who taught Peter who the Lord Jesus Christ was? It was God the Father that taught him. You know who taught you who Jesus Christ was? It was God the Father that brought it to pass. Do you know how you came to the Lord Jesus Christ? It was God the Father that brought you to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they shall be taught of God. God is the source of of the instruction. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh to me. 
it amazes me how my carnal mind wants to misunderstand what's being said. That's simple, really. But the carnal mind just, it don't go that way. So he says, they shall be taught of God. Therefore, seeing this then, every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father. So don't twist it now and say, well, they've learned about God. And that's what brought them. That's not what he's saying in the sentence before. They are being taught by God. Therefore, every man that's heard and learned from God. He's saying in this verse that every man that God's taught, that's what he's saying, cometh unto me. So Jesus has got a perfect record. He's never lost one. You know, God's got the same perfect record The old saying of, well, I saw God convict and try to draw them and they didn't come. That old saying ain't true. You know, everyone that the fathers taught, everyone that the fathers drew, they've come. By the Scripture they have, unless this Scripture's wrong. Why did they come? Because the Father drew them. Why didn't they come? It wouldn't give them of the Father. That's the Scripture's answer. Boy, that's not a happy answer. Man don't like that answer. They don't. Man don't like that answer. Man would rather it be up to every person individually. It's their individual choice. That's what man wants it to be. The problem is man don't understand how dead man he is on his own. Man is dead. Man cannot, man will not come to God on his own. So every man that the Father has taught cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So who is he which is of God? I I believe here he's speaking of the Lord Jesus. No man hath seen the Father at any time. We know that by Scripture. So I've not seen the Father. You've not seen the Father. Moses hasn't seen the Father. Moses saw a burning bush. Moses saw a great smoke and thunderings and fire on the mountain. But Moses didn't see God. He couldn't see God and survive. No man hath seen God at any time. But Jesus, Jesus has seen the Father. Jesus knows the Father. And so Jesus is, in Hebrews chapter 1, He's the express image of God unto man. He's our revelation of God. He's the one that opens our eyes, by grace, to the truth. Verily I say unto you, He that believeth on Me hath everlasting life. The Father and the Spirit, they lead to Christ. Ain't that something? The Father sent the Son. The Son accomplished the Father's will, dying for those that the Father gave Him. The Spirit, and I realize, 
At this point in the book, remember we're building. It's building blocks in the book of John. You start with your ABCs, you move to the sounds, and then you start reading. Well, that's the way we're going. We've not really been introduced to the work of the Spirit yet, but we will be in the future, in the coming chapters. But the Father is drawing. The Father's not using a rope to draw, but the Spirit is the means of God's drawing. And they all bring us to the Lord Jesus, the only hope that we have. 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Now, people take that verse and they say, see, God reconciled the world. Did He? Is the world saved? How can people that are reconciled die and go to hell? How can Jesus die for a man's sins and the man still die and go to hell for his sins? Is that possible? It it can't be possible. Can't be possible. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So God brings us to Jesus. Why does the Father bring us to Jesus? That through the sacrifice of Jesus, we might be brought to God. I can't come to the Father of my own righteousness and of my own works. I'm filthy. I'm sinful. I'm rebellious. I have failed. I've broken the law. I've not kept the law. And I've broken the law. Those are really two different things. Because to be accepted of God, I've got to keep the law. Well, I've not done that. But I've also broken it. So I'm not only not righteous, but I'm also under the judgment of the wrath of God. Man can't come to God of his own. So God sent the Son. The Son to first live the perfection and righteousness of the law, which He did, and to give His life in place of my life. And so we come to Christ so that Christ's perfect righteousness is imputed unto us and our sin, our transgression, our filth was imputed unto Him. He died and bore the punishment for our sins. And He lived the perfection of the law that we might be righteous. So God was in Jesus bringing us to Himself. I hope hope we can understand that. In verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So I am the bread. Your fathers eat manna and they're dead. Did that keep them alive? I mean, they're saying Moses gave our fathers bread from heaven 
And you know what? I don't even know, 99.9% of those people did. They not only died in the wilderness short of the promise of God, but they died in the wilderness in unbelief. What good did that bread do them? They died and went to hell. It's the truth. They eat bread from heaven and died in unbelief and went to hell. Boy, that, that didn't do them much good. But the Lord Jesus now, He is the true bread from heaven. And a man that eats of Him will not die. And we're not talking about dying and going to the grave. We're going to the grave. We've got two options. We die and go to the grave in the flesh, or Jesus comes while we're alive and we drop the flesh and are changed. Either way, this flesh is going. But I tell you what you won't die. You won't die in unbelief and lift your eyes in hell in Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life that washes away sins and that gives us righteousness. And so, manna was a type, Jesus the fulfillment, and this is the bread, my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. So you know where the world was hanging? In the wrath of God. That's where I was. My life was under the wrath of God awaiting judgment for my own sin. What was that judgment? Well, the wages of sin is death. Not just death in the ground, but death in hell forevermore. The smoke of their torment riseth up forever and ever. That kind of death. And so the Lord Jesus was given... His body was given. What was it given to? It was given to the Jews. It was given to Pilate. Given to the Roman soldiers. And given to the cross. Beating, torture, suffering, mocking, spitting, deriding, hating, drinking vinegar, suffering pain, smothering to death, and hanging on the cross. There He was. What was He given for? For our life. He died in our place. Instead of me dying, He died. So see, He was the propitiation. He was the one that took our place. The the good word. He was our substitution. That's what He was. He was our substitute in wrath. God said, Abraham, offer Isaac. Abraham took Isaac to the mountain and you know what God had on the mountain? There was going to be bloodshed, but God had a substitute to die instead of Isaac. God the Father gave Jesus as a substitute. Not for His Son, Isaac, but for sinners, for the wicked for the vile of this world. Is there a greater love than the love of God Almighty? We don't even understand it. The truth is, we don't understand the love of God. In Matthew 20, verse 28, 
even as the Son of Man came not to minister unto, be ministered unto, but to minister, and give His life a ransom. Jesus' life was going to be a ransom. It was going to pay that we could be free. His life was a ransom. Ephesians 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Who did He give Himself for? And who did He love? The the church is who it was. And so if, if you think about the meaning of that word, church, it's called out into a congregation. It's two words put together in Greek. It means called out and called into. So He's called us out of the world and into the family of God. Does that not sound like the crowd that the Father give Jesus and that the Father is drawing? It, it does. It all goes together. It all goes together beautifully if you'll believe that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And you remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, This is the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. How did He do that? By the sacrifice of His body. He gave His body to the wickedness of men to be beaten and destroyed so that the church, so that those given Him of the Father, so that those that the Father before the foundation of the world foreknew, He foreloved, He loved before they were, and He loved before they loved Him. He gave His body in their place that God could draw them to Himself. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody, anything you'd like to say, anything you'd like to 